Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Friday, January 20th. I'm Erica Pandy in for Nyla Boudou. Today, 50 years post-Roe, a split in the anti-abortion movement. Plus, the toll of burnout on women leaders like New Zealand's Jacinda Ardern. But first, the debt ceiling fight and the re-emergence of establishment Republicans. The week in politics is our one big thing. The United States reached its $31.4 trillion debt ceiling yesterday, and the country is at its credit limit. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen wrote a letter to Congress urging lawmakers to act promptly. Here for our Friday politics state of play is Axios' Josh Krausar. Hey, Josh. Erica, great to be with you. So, Josh, can you break down what it means to reach the debt ceiling? Well, it means that the government can't pay its debts if we do get past the point of no return. And that could lead to a whole lot of chaos, whether it's in the markets or whether it's even in terms of paying entitlement spending for Social Security, uh, Medicare, and and so on. But this is a a real crisis and one that a lot of Democrats especially think is self-induced, that, you know, the Republicans in the House are taken hostage with a debt ceiling. What does the debt ceiling fight look like from here now? Well, it's going to be a staring game and a battle of leverage. Uh, Republicans, now that they have the House majority, believe that they should have some say in spending cuts and having uh, the Democrats listen to what their voters uh, had to say in the midterm elections. But ultimately, Democrats control the White House. They expanded their majority in the Senate. And uh, if Republicans like do want to use that leverage, they could be negotiating against themselves. They could get very dicey. But um, I think Democrats think that there are enough Republicans that may call for a more sober course. And they also point to the divisions within the Republican Party, as we just saw this month with the battle for the speakership. We're also gearing up for the 2024 election cycle and Senate candidates are beginning to pop up. You've been reporting that the GOP establishment is striking back. Can you dig into what that means? Yeah, I mean, when we covered all the big races, Senate races uh, and beyond in the last midterm elections, all the big names we talked about from Dr. Oz to Herschel Walker to, uh, you know, Blake Masters in Arizona, they were either Trump endorsed or they really stood in the far right wing of the Republican Party and raised a lot of electability questions. It turned out that they couldn't get elected in these swing states. What we're seeing in 2023 and heading into 2024 is that Republicans are less worried about a Trump endorsement. They're less worried about losing a primary to a more right-wing candidate. So we have in Ohio, Matt Dolan, who's a guy who ran last time, state senator, wealthy businessman who co-owns the Cleveland Guardians baseball team. He's already in the Ohio Senate race. But the names we're hearing about this early on are very established figures. So we're the fact that we're even talking about more traditional Republicans expressing interest in running for Senate, whereas last time we were hearing that they were too scared to run in a primary. They were worried about Trump. It's a sea change in what we're seeing as far as the Republican political environment goes. 
Josh Krausar is a senior political correspondent for Axios. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Erica. And in politics across the globe, New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern made the surprising announcement this week that she'll step down from her position by February 7th. I know what this job takes, and I know that I no longer have enough in the tank to do it justice. Here with the story is Axios World Editor Lauren Whitney Gopreth. Lauren Whitney, why is Ardern stepping down? Well, the reason Ardern gave was simply because she's burnt out. And she said she is human, just like everyone else. And that's time for her to step down. Former New Zealand Prime Minister Helen Clark said Ardern had faced, quote, unprecedented threats during her time in office. Does her experience tell us anything bigger about the toll of leadership on women in politics around the world? I definitely think it does. You know, during COVID, the country went on total lockdown. She says she did that to protect people's lives. But that's really when a lot of the hate started coming at her and the Labour Party in general. But I do think it kind of speaks to how women in politics in general are treated. I think there are plenty of studies that show that women are often disproportionately targeted uh, with hate because of what they wear or how they do politics or even, you know, the fact that they go to a party and dance when we know men in politics are doing the exact same thing and aren't getting that kind of hate. What will Ardern's legacy be? I think first and foremost is she was a compassionate leader. She's had a, a really hard time in office. She had a huge domestic terrorism attack. That's where she really became well-known on the world stage because of the compassion she showed to the Muslim community after the Christchurch attack. I think she'll really be remembered for the way she handled the COVID pandemic and just generally how she was in politics. And, you know, she said it herself, be kind in government. And she knew how to be empathetic, but also get things done. And I think regardless of people's politics, it's not something we actually see every day, not just because she's a woman, not just because she's a mother, but she really was someone who I think a lot of people felt like they connected to on a more sort of on the ground level than other politicians who seem less accessible just because of the way they handled themselves. Axios World Editor Lauren Whitney Gopreth, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. In a moment, anti-abortion activists look for the way forward. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Erica Pandey in for Nyla Boodoo. Sunday marks 50 years since the Roe vs. Wade decision. And with Roe now gone, anti-abortion activists are gathering in D.C. to celebrate. But they're also divided on the way forward for their movement. Axios' Oriana Gonzalez has more. Oriana, how are both pro- and anti-abortion groups marking the anniversary this weekend? On the anti-abortion side, this time is really about celebrating. I spoke to the vice president of uh, government affairs at SBA Pro-Life America, and she said that that day, Sunday, is about reflecting on how far the anti-abortion movement has come. And one of the things they're really focusing on now moving forward is motivating anti-abortion lawmakers to pass restrictions and bans on the federal and state level, as well as looking at the 2024 presidential elections to make sure that they support candidates that are outspoken against against abortion. So looking at the March for Life, which is happening in Washington, D.C., those are kind of the main things that they really want to communicate. 
on the abortion rights side, on the other hand, they're definitely kind of on response mode to the overturning of Roe. I spoke to Rachel Carmona, the executive director of the Women's March, which is happening actually on Sunday, the day of the anniversary. And she says that now the abortion rights movement is really about reminding people that the fight is not over, despite what the other side might claim. Abortion, they say, is still accessible in some states. They want to make sure that people know that they can still get an abortion, that we're not back to pre-Roe times. And particularly, they really want to bring attention to the midterm wins for abortion rights, which they say show how supportive of abortion the electorate in general is. And you've also been reporting on this emerging split in the anti-abortion movement. What's going on there? The anti-abortion movement used to be united by the goal of removing Roe. Now that that happened, there's this kind of heightened attention to the fact that there's a division within the movement, those that want to prosecute the people that provide abortions, and then those that want to prosecute the patients getting abortions. So major mainstream groups like SBA Pro-Life America, the National Right to Life Committee, they have urged lawmakers to write laws that don't affect the patients because they say that patients are victims. And then on the other hand, we have the so-called abortion abolitionists. They are taking this a step further and saying that there is absolutely no excuse for an abortion, including in cases of rape and incest, and that even patients should be punished because they say that abortion is a sin. There's actually legislation being introduced in Oklahoma and in Missouri that, if enacted, could allow a prosecutor to go after a patient, which, again, is something that kind of the mainstream message around the anti-abortion movement has been against. Oriana Gonzalez covers healthcare for Axios. Thanks, Oriana. Thanks, Erica. That's all for this week. Axios Today is produced by Fonda Mwangi and Lydia McMullen Laird. Our senior sound engineer is Alex Sugiara, and Ben O'Brien also mixes the show. Alexandra Boti is our supervising producer. Sarah Kehulani Gu is Axios' editor in chief. And special thanks, as always, to Axios co founder Mike Allen. I'm Erica Pandy. Stay safe, enjoy your weekend, and Nyla Boodoo is back with you on Monday. If your head spins from all the latest happenings in business and tech, check out the podcast, The Hustle Daily Show. It's a smart, compact take on the day's business and tech news with an offbeat twist. They cover everything from the U.S. TikTok ban to how McDonald's is selling more Big Macs by tapping into millennial nostalgia. Listen to The Hustle Daily Show in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're using right now.